We're going to be looking at a king, and it brings up the subject of Samaria. And we're going to spend most of our time talking a little bit about that, the, the symbolism of Samaria and our life today. Okay, First Kings uh, chapter 16, <clears throat> and here's one of these kings here in Israel that would be the northern kingdom. And Omri, Omri is his name. First Kings 16, we'll read verses 23 to 28. First Kings 16, 23 to 28. In the 30 and first year of Asa, king of Judah, began Omri to reign over Israel. Twelve years. Six years reigned he in Tirzah, and he bought the hill Samaria of Shemer for two talents of silver and built on the hill and called the name of the city which he built after the name of Shemer, owner of the hill Samaria. But Omri wrought evil in the eyes of the Lord and did worse than all that were before him. For he walked in all the way of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and in his sin wherewith he made Israel to sin to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger with their vanities. Now the rest of the acts of Omri, which he did, and his might that he showed, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel? So Omri slept with his fathers and was buried in Samaria, and Ahab his son reigned in his stead. There's an um, auction going on pretty soon. I don't know if it's they're probably going on. Uh, this week, I think even to the weekend, is a couple of auto auctions. One of them is a Barrett Jackson, and then there's some other auto auctions. I can't remember. They're high-end stuff where you know none of us commoners are going to be able to buy stuff there. You know, anybody ever been to a Barrett Jackson auto auction? Okay, have you? Oh, did you go? Wow, that's pretty. I think there's another one too, kind of a similar high-end type. And uh, Dad and I used to do some cars. We did restoration work throughout the year, but. It would get busy in December and January, kind of some last-minute fixes for guys that wanted to put their car in the Barrett-Jackson or one of these other auctions. And uh, what we'd see happen in the course of our uh, work, and you know my work, but I'm going to give you an analogy and put it in your mind, is that <clears throat> you know we would have guys bring us an old, junky car, and they would say, yeah, I saw this car. It was all, say, a truck. Sometimes this happened with trucks. I saw this beat-up truck. And I saw this guy driving it. He was a beater truck, and it was all messed up and everything. And but I like that truck. Seventy, just say seventy-two Chevy short box truck, short short bed. And I like that truck. And I bought it from him for whatever two thousand dollars. And and uh, and I and I said I wanted to do something with it, you know. And we've had guys like that do. It's kind of the storyline. They see something. It's not really being used, or it's being abused and messed up, and they buy it. They buy the truck, the 72 Chevy truck, let's say. And they bring it to us, and we did our part in cleansing this paint surface and, and body working it and fixing out rust panels and painting it, putting it back together, and then somebody else would do the, the engine work, the driveline, the frame, and the interior. And so we would see the idea, the concept of somebody going to something that's messed up, buying it, and restoring it again. And so we're going to talk about that concept tonight a little bit from this text. And as we speak about the idea of Samaria, we're going to talk about that concept spiritually. But first, let's go, go to this chart here. 
right, and let's look at these kings, okay? And we're going to, again, we're brought up the subject of Samaria. And I apologize. I've been looking for a chart. This is a good chart, but I'm trying to look for something that looks a little more current. Like maybe this is, this is uh, needed some color work and it, it's not as good, but this is accurate though. So here's a chart of the kings. I know it's small for some of y'all uh, from where you're sitting, but I'm going to try to describe it quickly because I want it to be in your mind what we're reading. We're, we've read about some kings in First and Second Samuel, Saul, then David, David actually in Second Samuel, and then Solomon, beginning in 1 Kings. These are the first three kings. And then God told them there would be a split because of his sin. And sure enough, there's a split. Northern kingdom, southern kingdom. So the land of Israel is split into two kingdoms. The northern one's called Israel. The southern one is called Judah. This was, this was the one where God was going to fulfill his promise of the Messiah coming. This was one tribe, Judah. This is the other tribe, Judah and Benjamin. And this is the other tribes. Now, uh, uh, and by the way, I can send this to you um, if you want it. And then, so what else happened was, we've been looking at Jeroboam. Here's the guy who was Solomon's servant. He, he served as the king. And God said, hey, if you do the right thing, I'll keep your, you can have your own dynasty. And you can lead Israel for a long time. But he didn't, okay? Uh, he decided to start a new kind of church, new kind of temple worship. And by the way, now that I'm saying that, the sin of Jeroboam is repeated in all 18 of these kings. They all do exactly what he does. They keep going back to the two calves thing and alternate form of worship, and they stay compromised until they go into captivity. And here's the southern kingdom. This is all one family. This is fragmented. There's, there's only a few dynasties. That's not one consistent family. This is all, not just Judah, but David. And if it's not a son of David, it's always a son of David. And if it's one of these guys, if it's not their son, it's sometimes a brother. And then the brother dies, and then it goes back to the, another son. But it stays in one family. All right? And it's consistent in that sense. And it's because God, it's consistent because God keeps his promise. And he makes him, he keeps them consistent in that sense. Okay? And uh, he fulfills his promise through them. Um, now, there tends to be a few more good kings here than here. There's almost no good. In fact, there is no good king. He got the closest, Jehu. He got the closest, but didn't quite make it. And this was a hit and miss. Okay, so some of the ones we like, Asa, Jehoshaphat, uh, Uzziah, and not, not that they were perfect too. Hezekiah, Josiah was the last good king until they went into captivity. So here's the two, here's how the journey of first and second kings goes, right here. Partway through, I can't remember the text, this, this northern kingdom goes into captivity, into Assyria. They are, they are besieged, and they, are, they, start, they start starving these people while they're huddled up in their cities, and the Assyrians snatch them and take them back. And then eventually this happens, same happens to the Judah, except they go to Babylon. All right, so here, let me show you how messy this is. This is pretty consistent. This is a mess. Jeroboam. Jeroboam's son, Nadab, reigned for like two years. And God fulfilled his word. He told him, your descendants are going to get cut off. Sure enough, this guy, Basha, comes in and he kills him and kills his descendants. And then Basha fulfills God's word, but guess what he ends up doing? doing the same sins of the guy before him. 
And God says, you just did the same things as the guy before you. And so he gets cut off. And the same thing happens. Here's another guy, Elah and Zimri. Some of these guys only reigned for like seven days. And then one for a year. And then it's like messy. This guy, then this guy. This guy kills this guy. And this guy, there's one of the guys, I can't even remember the name. I get, like I said, it's messy. You can go back and look at chapters before. One of the guys, he reigned for, I think it was seven days or something. And he knew that another guy was trying to come in and take over the kingdom, Israel. And, he's, and he commits suicide by just burning the house over him. Okay? And it's, it's just a mess. Then this guy, Tiffany and all these, and then Omri, we read about. Omri's son, Ahab, he is notoriously wicked. Much of the rest of the book is about the relations between Ahab and Elijah. Exciting. The rest of the book is, is some, you got several chapters just focusing right here. And then it goes down, down, and it gets messy. All right. So Omri is who we read about. Now, Israel's a mess. Judah's a little more stable. The Holy Spirit purposely highlights the founding of Samaria. God, the Holy Spirit, is the author of your book, not your pastor, not another religious person. So there's purpose in us going through this and reading it. In the 30th, verse 23, in the 31st year of Asa, king of Judah, began Omri to reign over Israel 12 years. Six years reigned he in Tirzah. Verse 24, it tells about something he did. He bought the hill of Samaria of Shemer, this is a man, for two talents of silver, and built on the hill and called the name of the city which he built after the name of Shemer, owner of the hill, Samaria. So it's an alternate way of saying Shemer by saying Samaria. So the Holy Spirit highlights here the founding of Samaria. In particular, it started out with this hill. Pretty soon, the region um, became known as that. Everybody have a map in the back of their Bible? We'll try to take a quick peek. I wish I was on time. If I would have been a little more prompt, uh, uh, more diligent, I could have had a map for you. But just say, you know, here's your, here's your Israel area. There's northern Israel, the northern kingdom. The southern kingdoms, Judah, right just north, let's see, Samaria, just a little bit north of uh, the top edge of Judah. You might see Mount Ebal, Shechem, Shiloh, all that area. In that area is, the, is, in fact, it says it right there, Samaria, right in Israel there. And some of you might not say that, but if you think of the southern section of Israel, just over the northern section of Judah, you would find this area of Samaria. Okay, so what's happening? It's telling about this king who bought this. This is a good king. Is he going to develop a nice uh, Christian theme park? Is he going to? Is he going to? You know, develop. A, he's going to obey God and worship right there. No, he's going to do some messy, more messy stuff in Samaria. This king Omri, he purchases the hill, two talents of silver. It's pretty heavy. I think that would be like a hundred and something pounds. The Holy Spirit highlights it. It becomes a new capital. Okay? Northern Israel, the northern kingdom right there, they have a capital. What's the capital of uh, Judah? Jerusalem. Jerusalem. They weren't far apart. Kind of had a border. All right? And so you, now you have a new capital for these wonderful kings. All right? It was in another spot. Now it's, he's establishing himself. Samaria. But it says a hill. Look what it says there. Verse 24, he bought the hill. They say that this was a 300-foot uh, tall hill, had like a plateau to it. I don't know how wide. 
But there's a reason he bought it, because it was strategic. It became very um, much of a def- good defense. If you were to, an enemy, you want to go charge the capital where the king is, you'd have to be constantly charging uphill to be able to get to them. And they have the advantage. They're downhill aiming at you, their arrows or whatever. They're at the advantage by being up. And so that's why it was strategic. It was a very uh, fortified place naturally. It, was, it became a hub for wicked things. If you follow the word, we're not going to do this in the, New Te- in the Old Testament, but if you follow the word Samaria in the Bible, in the Old Testament, a lot of it's Ahab. He was called the king of Samaria. Ahab was a bad dude. He wrought wickedness in the sight of the Lord. He had a wife that was a um, Sidonian, I believe it was, from another you know, outside nation. But that wasn't her problem. Her problem was she was a Baal worshiper. Married to her, she brought in more Baal worship, and it just infected the northern kingdom. But here he has Samaria. So Samaria, is, he buys it. It's a strategic place, but it's a place that becomes a place to establish wicked things. Baal worship. There was a lot of Baal. There was a lot of blood. There's a lot of bad people. I mean, when, when Jezebel died, it was messy. And um, the, the, their, their worst, you wouldn't want to be there. It was bad. The New Testament says some things about Samaria. The Old Testament tells us some things. The New Testament. Let's just explore a few points here about what the New Testament says about Samaria. Because our, 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 our time tonight is just to see, not to focus on, you know, a, a, um, get some real estate advice from Omri. That's not what we're doing here. It's just, it brings up Samaria. This is the second time it's ever used in the Bible. So, like, what does God say about it? How many of us, what is your first thought? Some of you have read the Bible. What's your first thought about Samaria when you read the Bible, since you've been reading the Bible? What's the, what's it come to mind? Good Samaritan, yeah. That's a good one. Woman at the well, yeah. Those are some positive things. Well, that one's mixed. Okay, let's look. The Bible, the Bible brings up, it tells us all negative in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, it tells negative and positive. Let's just look up some things. We're, in the New Testament, we're actually told to go there. Christ went there. It symbolizes something. Look in Luke 17, 11. Luke 17, 11. And What we're going to do with the rest of our time is just look at a few New Testament passages and see what the Bible says about Samaria and how it relates to you know, our Christianity today. When it was in the Old Testament, it, symboli- it symbolized a messy place, bloody, bad people, and Baal worship. It still somewhat symbolizes messy theology and messy morality. Jesus went there in Luke 17. We preached this a few months back. Verse 11, it came to pass as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And the Bible says he healed those ten lepers. I'm not going to read the whole story. And the one that came back to give thanks, we see in verse 16, it says, He came, down, he came and fell down on his face giving, at his feet, giving him thanks, and he was a Samaritan. 
It, you know, the brother guy said, he brought up the fact that the new, there's the Good Samaritan story. Here's the story of the, Jesus healing the ten lepers. And the one that says thanks, Jesus said this, the text tells us that was a Samaritan. It brings it up because it's like, this is the least likely type of people to be doing something good. The Samaritan did something good for somebody injured. And then the guy giving thanks to some, this other Samaritan. Because the thing was, was that the Samaritans didn't, what is it? They were from an area that had messed up morality, messed up theology. And here they are. The one guy that gets cleansed has enough sense to give Jesus thanks. And then the story that Jesus told about this man injured on the road, the well-groomed, theologically-minded Levite avoided him. The other well-groomed, theologically-minded Israelite avoided him. But the Samaritan, whom we don't know what his faith was, had enough human heart to find this man and help him. Okay? So Jesus tells about, the Bible tells us a little bit about the Samaritans and that it was surprising that they, if, they would, if they would step up and help somebody and Jesus said that's because it's contrasting how bad some of the, really, the Jews have gotten religiously and relationally to other people. All right, so Jesus went through Samaria. John 4, 4, quickly look at that. Jesus went there. He was, the disciples were surprised that he hung around there. John 4, 4, uh, Rusty mentioned this. It says, Jesus, uh, well, verse 3 says he left Judea, departed again into Galilee. So he's going from north, south to north, and he must needs go through Samaria. That was the area in between, in his day, the northern part of the country, Galilee, southern part, Judea. In the middle was Samaria. Most people went around it. It's that part of town you don't go through. It's that country you don't go through. But he says he must needs go through it. Then the Bible says he went there and it describes what happened, right? He had a divine appointment, right? So there was a person that everybody else would avoid, the Samaritan woman. But he must needs go through there. And he goes and he sits down and his disciples go get lunch. And, and he strikes up a conversation with her, gets her attention, uses water, uses an earthly concept to teach her a heavenly truth and gets her attention and gets her thirst. But before he gives Shows her how to be saved. He shows her her sin. And uh, she's like, I want the water that you're talking about. Let make me live forever. Well, go get your husband. Yeah. Ah, so he had to deal with her sin. Well, I've had, I don't have a husband because I know that. You've had five husbands and, or whatever it is and one you're with now is not your husband. And so she was confronted, but then she believed and, and she was, what happened with her? This lady became a loud convert, right? She goes to the town, tells all the men, come see a man which told me all things I ever did. Is not this a Christ? And all these guys start coming. And they, many believed on him also. The idea is Jesus went and approached the messy people, the Samaritans. He found a thankful leper. He found a loud convert. Number two, let's look at this. Christ commissioned us to go to Samaria. And I think it represents, again, something else we'll look at. Acts 1.8. Okay? Acts 1.8, where we see the, the famous, uh, another way of giving the Great Commission. Jesus tells the disciples as he's ascending up to heaven, ye shall receive power, Acts 1.8, after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria 
and unto the uttermost part of the earth. So what is Jesus saying to that first church that was in the Jerusalem as he's going up? He says, all right, guys, you need to witness this, both right now in your hometown and then at the same time do these other regions. Samaria and in Judea, that's the other part of the, your, your country. And then Samaria, that's the place that everybody else wants to avoid. And then the rest of the world. Do your home area and all these areas also, both. He's saying at the same time. Oh, what is that saying to us today? We don't, we have, this is our Jerusalem that we commonly say, right? So we're responsible for our Jerusalem, Gilbert, greater Gilbert, and all that. And then Jesus says, so us, we need to be witnesses to Gilbert in the greater Gilbert area and the rest of the state, okay? And then Samaria. What's a Samaria for us? California, California? maybe, yeah. California. That's like, we don't want them coming here, right? And I told you my brother-in-law's pastor in Tennessee with the church he attended, he said, come on over here, we'll win you to Jesus, you know? In Tennessee. So I don't know. How are we supposed to look at this? If we don't want to witness to them, then we should say, don't come over here. Right? But if we want to witness to them, like, all right, come on over. So, anyways, that Samaritan would be a Samaria would be an area I want to avoid, right? Um, Jesus commissioned people to go to such type of area. Now, look, we're a small church, but we have to think, we have to have this mind. This is what I'm trying to convey. Um, I'm trying to convey the idea that, okay, here's this guy, he buys, I'll just kind of get to the kind of the gist of it. This guy buys the hill, uh, Omri, and he develops it as a capital, and it becomes a stigma. The hill of Samaria and all of Samaria becomes this wicked stigma, right? And it carries, of messy theology, messy morality, carries into the New Testament. It's messy, people avoid them. They don't know where to worship at. They don't know, Jesus says, you know not what you worship. He even told them that. And then uh, Jesus had to tell him, go to Samaria, go to Samaria. And now um, we see, but we see, here's the idea. We see in the New Testament, Jesus wants to buy Samaria, Samaria back. Buy it back. Something that's messy, I'm going to buy it back and restore it. And that's the concept we're showing tonight, is that when the Bible shows us about Samaria, it's one of those things like, ah, it's one of those persons, one of those places, Right? I don't, I don't want to mess with that. And Jesus shows in the New Testament, let's go for the goats. We need to deal with the, the messy adulteress here somehow. We need to deal with the messy town somehow and, uh, and buy it back. And so Jesus went there. Christ commissioned his church to go there. There's, there's some things that I, let me just kind of explain it. So for, what does that mean for us as a church? Here's what it means. It means for us as a church this, that, when we, and we'll read more scriptures to support what I'm saying, is that I know for us, like when we do visiting, what did we do yesterday? Went to the nice areas, which pretty much is everywhere in Gilbert, right? But there's areas that are not, it's like, eh, I don't want to go there. Ah, we have to do both. Still the nice area, our Jerusalem, and then the mess area that typically we want to avoid. There's a dual prong effort here. Um, in a way, it should be more than just two-prong. It should be three, because you have our Jerusalem, Samaria, Judea, and the rest of the world. So there should be multi-prong effort. It shouldn't be like, I only want to... Look, here's how we think, right? Who needs to be saved? Why? Because we're sinners, right? 
But you know how I feel about it? I want to help sinners get saved, but I want to find some good sinners. With not so much messy stuff and baggage. Huh? Do you ever feel like that? I want to lead somebody to the Lord, and I want to show that they have sin, but no, not too many issues and knots to untie, man. I want to do it, but that's the Samaritan. Huh? Right? Okay, because if you spend any time studying it in the Old Testament, you're like, oh, man, that's a messy place, and even in some of the New Testament. So Christ commissioned us to go there. You know, there's some churches, and again, we can't, I'm not saying we need to be um, like a stat, like try to fix every social problem. We can't, but I'm glad there's some churches right now in the last, evangelical churches in the last month or so, I've even gotten invited to stuff, who are trying to do stuff to combat the sex trafficking that's a big, I didn't realize how bad of a problem that was. And they're like, oh, it's a big problem around Super Bowl. I'm like, that's disgusting. That's disgusting. And Christians ought to be, whether the whole church, a whole church can do it, Christians ought to be. We ought to be doing something about that as we, if we can. I don't know what, but I just know that's a, that's a messy thing somebody ought to help with. You know, there's homeless issues. Again, we don't see it much in here. We're very insulated. But in other parts of our state, there's drug issues, which is going everywhere. At some point, we got to be able to have Christ's voice into every Samaritan messy type of situation. So Christ commissioned it. Number, let's look at a couple of the scriptures. Philip went down to Samaria and had good success. Look in Acts 8.5. Acts 8.5. Hey, John, you want to turn on the air conditioner? Got some fans going here, and they're not from the ceiling. Acts 8.5 here. Okay, Acts 8.5. This is talking about the early church going everywhere. And let's look at, in fact, verse 3. Acts 8.3. Saul, that was the apostle Paul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women, committed them to prison. Therefore... They that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. We just read a scripture that this bad dude named Saul became Paul, was on a crusade, not for the gospel, but against the gospel, trying to kill Christians and stuff. And what did it do? It got Christians to go spread out like Jesus said in Acts 1.8. And so they finally go out and they finally get out of Jerusalem. They say, oh, we better go to Samaria then. I might as well go to Judea. I might as well go to the uttermost part of the earth. And so they did that. And God used a negative thing to produce a positive purpose. And it says, then Philip, chapter 8, verse 5, I believe Philip was at first a deacon and then became an evangelist. It says, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. Now there's more to this story but you see that, that Philip said, all right, we're going to go down to Samaria to the messy place. But he knew, he had to know in his mind, Jesus did that once. And maybe some of them remembered that Jesus did. Maybe there was still some people that knew the woman at the well or the woman at the well herself. And all those people, this, whatever this city, there was several of them in this by this time, to the city of Samaria, and several of them, as the Bible says, hearing and seeing the miracles he did, they, they gave heed. And there was, there was many that believed. Look what it says here. Um, verse, chapter 8, verse 14. 
Now when the apostles were at Jerusalem, pardon me, now when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John. What happened was, Jerusalem was, there was, there was persecution, Christians scattered, they witnessed, but some of the apostles stayed in Jerusalem. And they hear Philip went to Samaria and a bunch of people believed. Well, we got to go see this. Really? You know, a bunch of, you know, whatever. Just say, think of the word drug addicts, harlots, and whatever else, people who, whose uh, theology is warped and now they're straightening up and believing on Jesus. Well, it's got to go check this out. And that's what they did. It surprised the apostles. They went down there to check it out. Though that received the word of God. Um, I was talking with a, you know, it's just, I, I don't have a lot of ex- specific examples, but you know, you know, we, we realize that, you know, God can save anyone, right? Any type of, any type of person. Aren't you glad about that? You know, not everybody that I try to work on that's been really messed up gets saved, but I'm like, I always have hope. I'm like, Hey, I've seen, I've seen things in the Bible. So maybe you'll be the next, uh, Woman at the well convert. Or maybe you'll be the next Samaritan resident convert. We should have that hope. That's buying back Samaria. For Jesus' sake. All right, number, two more points. Deception can still reside there. Notice what it says. This very passage where there was revival, there was, seems to have been a false convert. Chapter 8, verse 9. Again, I'm not trying to get into all the details of the whole story but it says there was, chapter 8, verse 9, there was a certain man called Simon, which before time in the same city used sorcery. Aha, see, yeah, see, it's messy. And bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out that himself was some great one. The Bible says to him, to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, this man, uh, saying, this man is the great power of God. Verse 11, to him they had regard because that of a long time he had bewitched them with sorceries. But, verse 12, when they believed, but when they believed Philip, preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Then Simon himself believed also, verse 13. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and wondered, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. I, there's a debate on whether this guy was really saved. I think it was a false conversion. It says he believed. There's another passage in John 2 where it says people believed, but Jesus knew what kind of belief it was. It wasn't real. So this guy's like, this guy's the, the wizard, all right, of the town. He's got everybody under control and everybody thinks, he's, whoa, look at the magic he does. And he's got everybody under control. And then Philip comes in, preaches the gospel. All these people get saved. And he sees Philip do real miracles of God. And he's like, wow. Oh, they're all believing. Oh, they're all getting baptized. Yeah, I believe too. And he gets baptized. And then he goes to follow Philip around. That's amazing. He's looking at it as like some kind of fancy thing. Like, whoa. He's, he's enamored with the, 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 the show and lights in a sense. And that's not, that's not what the Christianity was about. But Philip was given the power to do some healing. I mean, that's what Jesus designed, for, especially for that first century church. He's like, wow. And he wanted that too. And he offered Philip money. I want to give you money so I can have this power too. And it was it Philip or Peter. One of them says, repent. You're not right, man. Something's not right with you. 
And pray, God, that, that, that this would be forgiven to you. I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness, in the bond of iniquity, uh, Peter said to him. So what I'm, what I'm saying is, if we think about the whole idea of Samaria, Jesus went there, uh, the church is called to go to Samaritan types, Samaritan areas. Philip went to Samaria and preached to the messed up people that had good success and the converts. And yet, in the middle of that, deception still resided there. There's still people that are phony and fake and deceivers. Have you ever met somebody like, man, I think that guy got you see some things in their life that's like, that's really questionable. You know? And so here's deception resides there. There was um, a stronghold there. But yet, in the long run, genuine, number five, last point, genuine godly churches were established in Samaria, which gives us hope that genuine godly churches can be established in the worst area. That's the point of number five. Genuine godly churches were established. Look at chapter nine. Chapter nine. It says, Then had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria. Well, there was churches in Judea and Galilee and Samaria. Yep. Not only did they there, they had rest and were edified and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost were multiplied. Wow. I'm just showing you a little picture of that. This is the concept is that. I'm realizing, realizing that. Again, not only can anybody get saved anywhere, if we're going to believe the Bible, right? Not only can anybody get saved anywhere, a church, is, a church can get established anywhere. You know, there's churches. I, I, I'm pretty sure there's churches still in North Korea. They're kind of hidden. We know there's some in China. Um, I don't know what it's like now, but in Iraq, when we went to Iraq and all that happened, and whether we liked it or not, it opened up a gospel window and there was a church established in Baghdad. Baghdad Baptist, what I heard last time. You know? And so, um, the idea is that a, with the gospel, it works in spite of the messiness of people. So Omri bought it. it became, he bought the hill. It became a disaster. That symbolizes the fact that Christ seeks to buy people back who are a disaster such people back and so I, I just see kind of this the whole idea of like there's hope for there's hope for people there's hope for people in Christ there's hopeful people in the gospel even if they seem like they come from a long line of messy people there's hope when we when we cast ourselves on Jesus Christ there's hope when we share that gospel with people and I know, again, like, uh, like we said, there's, there's messy things. There's prostitution, there's child abuse, there's drug, there's drug addiction, there's, there's alcoholism, there's, there's mental illness stuff, there's all kinds of stuff. I talked to a pastor recently, he's like, I, I want to help, I want to start a ministry to people with mental illness. And um, I was like, that'd be great, man, because he, he battled some things himself, he'd been studying it how it works and merging his Bible with that and how could you minister to somebody, you know, like that. And he says, I said, that's great. I'm glad. I'm glad. 